3: of the 2009 Major League Baseball season this weekend. I am very excited about opening day on Sunday. Full slate of games on Monday. I might have to play hooky, watch some games. But uh, we'll talk about baseball with Maury Brown in Segment 3. In Segment 4, Greg Shaheen. He's the Senior Vice President of Business and Basketball Strategies for the NCAA. He's the head honcho for the NCAA Division I Men's Basketball Championships. While Shaheen may not be a household name, he's one of the most powerful men in sports, and he's joining us in segment four. A couple of other notes, visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm joined in studio by our producer Bobby Corser and by the esteemed Nathan Roach, and I'm going to say right here and right now, I stunk it up with the SBR blog tournament challenge I had Louisville, I was sure they were going to get get it done and win. These guys meanwhile have 3 of the final 4 teams apiece and I got to give you guys credit. Well, I have a chance
4: and I rightfully picked my name as Roach owns burger and Roach this year definitely
3: owns burger. How do you feel about that, Brian? Yes, you do. And uh, you know, I'm not afraid to admit that you and Bobby have uh punished me hard this year in the bracket challenge. You know, this next week one of the best stretches of any week of the year for sports we got the final four on Saturday got the opening to Major League Baseball season on Sunday the NCAA title game on Monday then the masters next week. as far as I'm concerned this may be the best sports week of the year. Well yeah and and I don't know about you but I always get a little depressed after this
4: stretch is over because there's really nothing not to take anything away from baseball. I love Major League Baseball. But everything that I look forward to starts to trickle off, and i got to wait till next fall for football and basketball to start again. And really, we have a long stretch of baseball. A long stretch of baseball. The other
3: thing I like is the NBA season is just getting interesting. It ends on April 15th, and then we move into playoffs, which is the part that I think most fans really like. All right, Coach John Calipari leaves Memphis for the University of Kentucky. He's got the biggest contract in college basketball, and he's got some interesting perks. We'll tell you about those coming up in headlines. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships.
0: Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian
3: Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, John Calipari has left the Memphis Tigers. He's the new coach at the University of Kentucky. He will now be the highest paid coach in college basketball after accepting an eight-year, $31.65 million deal this week. Keep in mind, Kentucky also has to pay $6 million on top of that to buy out former coach Billy Gillespie. Now, this deal for Calipari is very interesting. Uh, There's incentives. If he wins the SEC tournament, he gets a bonus of $50,000. If he gets his team to the Final Four, he gets $175,000. And if they win the national championship, he gets $375,000. He also has incentives for strong academic performance by his team. Now, there's some perks that he gets on top of that, if that all isn't enough. Uh, He's provided with two automobiles, an expense account, 20 lower arena tickets for each game in Rupp Arena, benefits and retirement plans, 20 days of paid vacation, and membership at the Golf and Country Club of his choice. If Kentucky fires him without cause, they've got to give him $3 million for each Of the remaining years on his contract. I would say that John Calipari's agent did a fantastic job negotiating this deal. I need that guy doing my deals.
4: Well, yeah, and from a business perspective, this is great. The problem is that I have, and I've said this a lot on this show, is loyalty. You just don't see the loyalty in any athletics anymore, let alone college basketball. You look at the G, the Dean Smiths, the John Woodens, and, and more currently, Mike Shashevsky. I would love to have seen Calipari be the guy at Memphis, but I know that you're going to argue that Kentucky is a basketball school. I just want to see loyalty at college the college level
3: yeah but in this economy money talks and again in this
4: economy he's already making great money well this he, he would have
3: made more money at Memphis according to him according to Calipari but I think Kentucky's one of the top five basketball jobs in the country and he wanted to be with an elite school Memphis no matter how long he would have stayed there would have never been that school our next headline the final Ford's taking place at Ford Field in Detroit this weekend expert estimate that the event will generate 30 million dollars for the local detroit economy with michigan state playing in the tournament ticket sales have been even more brisk this week make sure to stay tuned for my conversation with greg shaheen the senior vice president of basketball and business strategies for the ncaa that's coming up in segment four our next headline the longest ongoing drama and the NFL is finally over this week. The Chicago Bears acquired disgruntled Denver Broncos quarterback Jay Cutler in a trade on Thursday afternoon. They gave up quarterback Kyle Orton and first-round draft picks in 2009 and 2010, along with a third-round pick in 2009 to do it. To complete the trade, the Broncos had to give back a fifth-round pick in 2009. Nathan, this is an absolute embarrassment to the Denver Broncos organization. They aired their dirty laundry through the media. Their coach and their star player couldn't get on the same page. Their owner was like a a spoiled brat crybaby who said, I want this to all go away, so I'm trading my player. I think it's a trade that will work out ultimately for both teams, but this is an embarrassment for the Broncos.
4: Yeah, and a bonus for the Bears. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is this. Any football team needs a solid quarterback who's a team leader with that experience. And Cutler is the man. And I'm a Bears fan, so I'm a little biased there. But I think this is going to work out a lot better for the Bears than it is for the Broncos.
3: Well, and from a business side, it will definitely work out better for the Bears. Uh, Jay Cutler sells a lot of jerseys. He sells a lot of tickets. He will have much more of an impact on the business of the Bears than Orton will on the business of the Broncos. Our last headline of the week. The Major League Baseball season gets underway this weekend and MLB Players Association this week opened its first retail outlet store devoted to selling player-only merchandise. This is an attempt to boost licensing revenue for the union and to promote star players. So it's going to be at the new Mets ballpark, City Field, and the interesting thing is, Nathan, is that most Major League Baseball merchandise that you see, whether it's a ball cap or a jersey, it doesn't have the player's name on it. So those items are not part of the cut that goes to the players. So the players want items that are sold that have their names on them. Thus, you're going to see these types of items with their names and likenesses on them a lot more now, so the players can get more money since they haven't been getting money from the licensing deal with Major League Baseball, and if right, you understand yeah, all I mean, that. I right,
4: mean, rightfully so, and I know this is something we'll ask Maury Brown here coming up in the next segment, but the fact of the matter is NBA players have it a lot better than Major League Baseball players and NFL football players because they get more exposure through jerseys and everything else, basketball, shoes. Major League Baseball does not have the opportunity to get that kind of exposure. Coming
3: up next, Maury Brown with the com. After that, Greg Shaheen the head honcho of the NCAA tournament. He's going to join us, tell us all about the Final Four. And March Madness, you're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll
0: be right back. or online at SportsBusinessRadio.com. This is Sports Business Radio.
3: Well, opening day of baseball is this weekend, and I'm very excited about the opening of the 2009 Major League Baseball season, and we want to bring a good friend of the show on to talk about baseball, Maury Brown with TheBizOfBaseball.com. Maury, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio.
1: Brian, it is always a pleasure to talk to you.
3: So we've got two big ballparks opening up in New York. The Mets, City Field, and the Yankees, the new Yankee Stadium, both very expensive. And Maury, I'm listening to New York radio, and I'm reading the New York newspapers, and lo and behold, after they've done some dry runs at these facilities, especially Yankee Stadium, they're finding that they've got hundreds of obstructed view seats, and these tickets are not cheap. That's a big problem, isn't it?
1: Well, it's a huge problem. I mean, the um, fan cost index was released by Team Marketing Report today. And as part of that, it shows that the Yankees have a 76.3% increase in the average ticket price. The average ticket for the Yankees is $72.97. Now, that's based on season tickets. So, you know, when you look at that and you look at an 8.6% increase by the Mets, And some of these tickets are, are, as you know, Brian, are are outlandish. I mean, the seats directly behind home plate at New Yankee Stadium for a single-game ticket is over $2,600 a game. Wow. So when you start factoring in the cost of these seats, and there's still some reasonably priced seats, but when you factor in, you know, discretionary income is hard to come by in this recession. And so when folks are looking to go to a ball game, the last thing they're expecting to do is have an obstructed view. And, you know, some of the pictures that I have seen and like you've heard from some of the fans, they're very upset about this. How these you know clubs make amends in this situation, I don't know if they have the ability to do that. You can't take the seats away. You either take the seats away and move people into another location, which becomes difficult to do. Or, you know, you sit there and basically give them a massive discount. I don't know if either of these clubs are going to be willing to do that right now.
3: It's just amazing to me. That, you know, and I've been in on the construction of a venue. I worked for the Blazers when they built the Rose Garden. And mm-hmm. it's so important for the brass of the team to work directly with the architect because the architect is the one building the facility. And it seems like in this case, maybe the architect and the brass of the Yankees, the Steinbrenner's, weren't having regular conversations. And then when they open up the facility, lo and behold, there's uh, obstructed view seats.
1: Well, and you know, and there's been obstructive view seats prior, but it's one of those things to where you know how the the Yankees, especially Launtros, said that you know well where where there's obstructive views we're going to provide a a basically nice high depth television for you to see the whole game as if this makes things better, right? Well, you know fans can just sit at home if that's the logic you want to take, so it is one of those things you know h o k worked on both of these ballparks, um, whether there was a disconnect going on between. You know, those that were setting the pricing structure and those that were sitting there, you know, determining, you know, how seating was going to be arranged and the cost for these, you know, I don't know. But there clearly seems to be a lot of fans that are upset about where their placements were when they moved from the prior ballparks to new ones and the situation with obstructive view seating.
4: Yeah, Maury, this is Nathan. And, you know, you just talk about the Yankees and you talk about the Mets season tickets and tickets in general going up. In this economy, the average ticket price is up 5.4%. Why is that? Is that because of the Yankees and the Mets, or is that in general?
1: No, that's because most exclusively from the Yankees and the Mets. If you take those two out, the increase is under 1%. Now, that still seems like a bit much, but when you look at this in, in parallel to what has gone on in years past, which has been considerable increases, then, you know, it doesn't seem too bad. A lot of clubs are, I believe, 10 of them this year – have costs that are either flat, or in some cases actually you know just below flat. You know, basically less than a percentage point of increase. Some clubs like the Padres have got uh, decreases in the average price of I think it's someone uh, it's it's 27 percent. You know, so some of these clubs are making deep cuts to try and lure fans in, and there's a lot of promos going on. Uh, the league just released a deal today that basically goes through. And gives a host of options for fans that are trying to get in on a budget. They're trying to work it out, but it is one of those things where some of these clubs, some clubs are skewing others, and basically making it look like when you say that the league average has gone up, you know, basically a percentage point, it still doesn't look right in this economy.
3: Maury, uh, I've heard that Bud Selig has warned owners that business could be down as much as twenty percent this year because of the poor economy. What's the biggest concern for? Major League Baseball owners this year. Is it ticket sales? Is it uh, sponsorship dollars? What do you think the biggest concern is facing owners as we open the 2009 season?
1: Well, I think it goes in exactly that order, Brian. I think that it's always going to be tickets. It's still the lion's share of business across the league for all of these clubs. And then sponsorships have been being very hard. Um, the best example, I guess, goes back to the Yankees. The Yankees were working a, a multi-year deal. I believe it was 10 years with Bank of America within – Uh, rumored to be within the high teens per annum. And they lost that deal and basically got a one-year extension on the deal that they currently had. They lost General Motors, but they had Toyota and Audi come in. So they're filling some of the gaps. but, But, you know, a lot of these small to mid markets, when DHL backs out of the Pirates, you know, it's a major dent. And a lot of these clubs were, you know, looking for every penny they could get to begin with. So when these headwinds come along, like they're coming this, this time around, you know it's going to be interesting to see. Now the league has said that there's basically three structures. You mentioned the 20% drop in attendance. They have it, I believe. There's three structures at flat 10% and 20% would be the extreme far end of the attendance drop. But let's face it, that's a considerable, you know, ding. And uh, you know if they're looking at something like that, uh, you know it, it, it would be you know a considerable bit of damage to the bottom line.
4: Maury, I, I know that here in Portland with NBA, they do a lot of promotion packages to try and draw fans in. Have you heard about any packages in baseballs or, or baseball or special promotions that they've done in order to get fans into the stadium?
1: Well, the best one I've heard of I believe it's the twins are doing a deal where it's basically tied to where the Dow, what the Dow does. So when the Dow drops, they're going to basically discount tickets, and they did this last year with the cost of gas. So whatever the national gas average was, they were taking that off the ticket price. And they were doing them on on Mondays, and I believe they're doing that again this time around. What the teams and all these clubs are doing is they're either working on a variable pricing structure. The Giants are doing a very dynamic deal that leading up to 24 hours before a game, they can go ahead and dynamically change the pricing in the upper deck. So if the weather is lousy, you know, you may go in and be able to catch, you know, the Dodgers at a discount where on a sunny day, it might be completely different. So it's going to be very dynamic. And I know that a lot of the clubs in the league are going to be looking at this closely. And then of course, a lot of smaller packages are being made available. It used to be, it was full seasons or maybe half season. Now we're looking at quarter season deals and even smaller, you know, deals where it's like as many or as less as 10 games. So, they're becoming very flexible in, in the amount of tickets that that are being offered and getting fans into into the stadiums.
3: We're joined by Maury Brown. He's the founder of thebizofbaseball.com. dot com. Maury, interesting deal this week. The San Francisco Giants purchased a twenty five percent stake in the Single A San Jose
1: team. What does this mean? Well, I think it means a lot for the Oakland A's. Um, you know, this is something that Lewis Wolf has had a lot of interest in moving. Um, the A's to Oakland, the deal in Fremont fell apart. And it was very interesting. Last week, the commissioner's office said that they were going to put together a committee to explore options in Oakland's territory. It was very carefully worded. In other words, since the Giants control Santa Clara County and San Jose is in in Santa Clara County, it was pretty clear that the Giants have no interest in allowing that area to be open for the A's. Purchasing this uh, percentage of this club, and they – have the option to increase that ownership equity cont- continues to drive a wedge between the notion of the A's moving to San Jose and getting into Santa Clara County.
3: Interesting. That will definitely be something interesting to watch. All right, before we let you go, uh, on com, very interesting story by you, and you were quoted in the New York Times this week really discussing the marketability of Major League Baseball players. And, you know, we've said on the show for a long time that Major League Baseball does a very poor job of marketing their players, you know, not nearly as good as the NBA and even as the NFL. Maybe you could talk about that article a little bit and just, you know, maybe why you think that Major League Baseball players aren't as well marketed as NBA
1: players. Well, I think there's a couple of things about it. I mean, for one thing, you do have players that are only going to come to the plate and have camera time, you know, a limited, you know, maybe every inning and a half at the most. Pitchers are certainly going to get a lot more coverage if they're a star pitcher. Um, but one of the biggest things I've seen is that large you know, apparel companies such as Nike have been able to basically take when Jordan came along and basically brand basketball shoes as casual wear. It was a huge dynamic that shifted. And the NBA was a, a, a benefactor of that. They've been able to market players significantly since Nike has come on board. Major League Baseball doesn't have that. I mean, it's very difficult. You can really only have maybe caps, maybe jerseys. It's just difficult to go out and figure out apparel that works, you know, and reaches every man, every woman to go out there and wears casual wear. So that's a difficult piece. The other thing I think is there hasn't been a real dynamic individual that has come along like Jordan or like LeBron James. You don't have, you know, Barry Bonds could have easily been that guy, but he was such a caustic and polarizing personality that that didn't work. For whatever reason, Alex Rodriguez has been an enigma, you know, from a marketing perspective. And then he goes out and has his situation with Madonna and now the steroid allegations. And so he's damaged goods. So it's one of those things where the stars have never really aligned for baseball to have that position. And then it's a difficult thing from, you know, what kind of apparel works and reaches out to, you know, the average consumer.
3: If you were going to pick one player in baseball today and you were Bud Sealing and you said, let's make this the guy that we really focus our marketing efforts on? Who would you pick?
1: Well, you know, that's a tough question. You know, it may come down to, you know, David, there's been talk about David Wright. Derek Jeter's probably that guy, though. And the difficulty is is that Derek Jeter is, you know, he's marketed on a couple of levels. You know, there's Gillette and there's Avon, there's G2, you know, Gatorade. Um, But as a general rule, there just hasn't been a situation where there has been that corporate push to go ahead and have Jeter get on the level of, say, you know, Tiger Woods or, you know, LeBron James. You know, in the future, I don't know. You know, it is one of those things to where there, there may be a player, you know, maybe Josh Hamilton or somebody like that, who's become a very compelling individual due to, you know, the trials and tribulations that he's had in his life leading up to this, you know, where he performed last year. But it is one of those things to where there doesn't seem to be anybody on the horizon. I guess the best player would be Cal Ripken. You know, <laughs> that, that was the everyman that they could use. Unfortunately, you know, his days have long passed, but he, he would be the guy that you would kind of look to see if that, that next guy was going to come along. You'd want somebody like Cal Ripken.
3: Well, Maury, enjoy opening of the baseball season. Thank you for joining us. Maury Brown from thebizofbaseball.com. Always good to catch up with you.
1: You as well, Brian. Have a good day.
3: You too. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio.
0: One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Sports Business Radio.
3: My guest is Greg Shaheen. He's the Senior Vice President of Basketball and Business Strategies for the NCAA. Greg oversees the day-to-day operations of the NCAA Division One Men's Basketball Championship, as well as the NCAA's 11-year, six billion dollar contract with broadcast partners CBS and ESPN. Greg, thanks for joining us on this week's edition of Sports Business Radio.
2: Glad to be here. Thanks
3: for having me. So, Greg, we're heading into the Final Four. What kind of a grade would you give you and your staff uh, for this year's tournament thus far?
2: Oh. Well- that's tough. It's uh we're our own worst critics, I think. So our job is to kinda look at everything we've been working on for the last several years, culminating in this year's event and figure out what we can do better. So we're uh you know, I think we're probably passable, but I don't know beyond that. We're uh, we're working as hard as we can to provide uh, uh as uh, continuing progressive and experience as possible for our student athletes and for the, those who follow them. And obviously a number of storylines leading into this year's final four make it even better. But, uh, most certainly the committee, uh, the basketball committee, uh, did a great job in assembling the bracket. We've had a, an orderly tournament. Everything's been fun. Some great competition. Always fascinating to read criticism that, uh, The tournament played out like they were seated so uh, that's that's always uh, curious to to hear but uh, at the same time we're we're chipping our way through and uh, I'm pleased to be here
3: you know I think most people probably don't realize this is one of the biggest events in the world especially in the United States your staff isn't that big it's not like you've got a staff of 100 or 150 (laughs) putting this thing together right
2: yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. We we have a uh, we have a staff of about a dozen people that operate uh, the championship and uh, concentrate on on our 14 sites uh, all year round, and um, you know that connects to about uh, 800 admissions uh, over the three week period, uh, about 75 million dollars uh, in revenue from the tournament activity, and then obviously. Uh, the media contract that that exceeds $500 million. So it's uh, a fair amount of pressure. Our folks stay focused, and they do a great job. You know, the
3: economy this year, it's a, such a huge story in the sports world. I heard things like when the tournament committee was putting the brackets together that they were going to factor in travel costs this year. And, you know, I'm out in Portland, Oregon, and I saw that you kept Gonzaga and Washington close to home, but then I see that Arizona State goes cross-country to Miami. How much did the committee factor in travel costs when putting together this year's bracket?
2: Well, you you have to look across the entire 65 teams. Uh, Really, after 2001's tournament, uh, which Maryland played in the Final Four, and it had gone west for both its first two weeks uh, in the tournament, uh the the expense of teams and followers following the Terrapins uh, really brought to a head the discussion that the committee and staff had been having for quite a while regarding the tournament and the travel process. And so the committee had actually evolved its process starting with the O2 champion to try and do as much as possible so that starting with the top seed and moving down to try and get them to play as close as home as possible without creating a competitive disadvantage. Uh The reality is we have... Uh, about two-thirds plus of our membership that's east of the Mississippi. And depending on the given year which sites we're at and how teams are playing west of the Mississippi, for example, we're going to be in a situation where we may or may not be able to have teams uh, close to home. Uh, just in terms of how the competition falls out, so while the examples you cited uh, certainly are are good, uh, you know, keep in mind that in Dayton we had, uh, for example, Louisville and Ohio State and Moorhead State and Eastern Tennessee State and and so forth, Chattanooga over in Greensboro and the like. So if you look at the field, you'll see about half of them were actually able to drive; they were inside 300, 350 miles, and able to drive to their competition site. And uh, and so that, that certainly was helpful. And our numbers, a look at travel, uh, demonstrates a, a fair reduction in that.
3: I want to talk to you about two of your first and second round sites specifically. One, Miami. Uh, I read a quote from you. You said about 50% of the tickets sold. I've been to Miami. I've been to Heat Games. They have a tough time selling tickets to Heat Games. Was it a mistake to go to Miami or is it just a poor economy?
2: I think we had a lot of different things at play there. We had. Uh, uh, the world baseball uh, classic going on at the same time uh, in addition to the market dynamics that you describe uh, we also had no teams from Florida that were able to uh, that were able to compete there the closest team was 452 miles away in Wake Forest and the balance of the teams including two teams Arizona uh, Syracuse uh, Cleveland State and the like are just uh, quite a distance away so couple of factors that led to that Um we would never describe any site that we go to as a mistake. So we just try to learn from what we do. I mean, as I said earlier, we're, we're our own harshest critics, so we try and learn. Okay, so what worked? What didn't work? What are the things we'll do the next time we would go back to an area or a situation like that, and respond accordingly. But uh, overall, the, the ticket sales are uh, at 90% plus uh, for the championship. The Final Four is obviously sold out, and. Uh, I think at the end we're still looking at numbers, but I think at the end we're going to see that this was the most attended championship uh, in the 71-year history of the basketball championship. And I think that just is a testimony to how many people follow uh, college basketball around the country.
3: Greg, I'm going to sound like a homer here for a minute, but I'm based in Portland, Oregon. We finally got the tournament here for the first time in over three decades. I went to the games I thought it ran beautifully and, and very smoothly. We sold out the games here. I'm going to put you on the spot. Is Portland a candidate for having the tournament back here in the future? Please tell me we're not going to have to wait another 30 years.
2: Oh, I, I don't think we're, uh, I, I don't think you have to worry about that. I think that the, uh, um, the folks in Portland and uh, the folks at the University of Oregon that hosted and the Rose Garden and so forth really came together. Uh, a great initial effort and uh, great games, in fact, as well. So we had a uh, a really good experience. And again, that's, that's one of the things that people may lose sight of. Uh, we try to move this championship around the different venues. And while, uh, the, the demand for tickets is so high at the final four that we play in the larger format stadiums, uh, the reality is one of the, one of the charms of the event is the fact that we will take first and second rounds and regionals to facilities as small as 12,000 seats. So it's a combination of everything, combination of geography, what the facility is able to do, transportation. But certainly Portland did a great job this year.
3: Greg, let's talk about some of those larger formatted stadiums, as you call them. Ford Field is hosting the Final Four. We've seen stadiums of that magnitude host Final Fours before. But i got to tell you, I was a little bit surprised to turn on the TV and see games in Glendale at University of Phoenix Stadium and games at Lucas Oil Stadium, two large football stadiums, and when you turn on the TV, you see some empty seats. Now, I know it's not because those seats didn't sell. They weren't put on sale, but do you have any concerns that when someone turns on the TV and they see some empty seats that maybe that's too big of a stadium for a regional?
2: Well, you know, let's take Indianapolis, for example. We had 37,000 people there, and so we had a – uh, a great crowd there and and great games so the reality is we were doing a dress rehearsal there for future final fours phoenix again in glendale uh had a circumstance where again the regional feeds uh the teams were all eastern based so as a result we had um we had teams that were not necessarily of geographic interest and so a challenge there. But in Indianapolis, for example, again, setting us the fourth largest crowd ever to attend a regional, uh, and, and the like, you know, we, we, we again are trying to bring this to, to different people. And in that case, it was a dress rehearsal for the final four.
3: My guest is Greg Shaheen. He's the Senior Vice President of Basketball and Business Strategies with the NCAA. Greg, when you take over a venue for the NCAA tournament, what are the requirements from that venue? And you don't have to go into exact detail, but for instance, you know, I've been into the Rose Garden in Portland many times, and from what people told me, you know, you went to great expenses to cover up sponsor signage that may have conflicted with the sponsors of the NCAA tournament, and... Uh, retired jerseys were brought down from the rafters. What does the venue have to do to get an NCAA tournament?
2: Well, I mean, I think those are the sorts of things that we do. We we want and you got to keep in mind that we got a first and second rounds uh, that are being played across eight different sites. There are eight different sizes. There are eight different um, kinds of buildings, configurations, and so our objective is to try and make them generally as consistent as possible. Likewise, you've got to remember that our corporate champions and partners—Coca-Cola, AT&T, Pontiac, and the like—are paying so that they are sponsoring. Um, they are sponsoring all 88 of our championships. But clearly, for a high-profile event like the Division One Men's Basketball Championship, they've paid a premium to be associated with the values, of higher education, and what we do. So, as a result covering signs and making sure that uh, those who have supported our championships all year long, at 754 sites across our 88 championships, uh, really uh, able to be recognized. At the same time, our venues are clean inside the bull. We do everything possible to essentially uh, rid the, the building of, of any commercial or professional and uh, create basically a, uh, a, a home gym look. Uh, that doesn't have, uh, you know, the retiree jersey and the like, and that's uh, that's something that the committee continually revisits and and that's where, like what the kind of protection that we want to provide uh, for our uh, for those who support us all year long is is quite important.
3: All right, let's talk about the final four. Obviously, it's at Ford Field in Detroit. Michigan State making the Final Four has got to be huge, not only for the event, but you know I heard Tom Izzo, the coach of Michigan State, talking about what it means to the state of Michigan for the Spartans to get there. They've got 12% unemployment. And then I would just think with ticket sales, it adds a little bit of extra buzz. Talk to me about the economic impact of Michigan State in the Final Four. Sure. You
2: know, we. Uh, I think when the... Division One Men's Basketball Committee awarded Detroit the 2009 Final Four and they did so six years ago. Uh, the recognition that this would be an economy in transition was, was clear at the time. And so it is not news that we would be in a circumstance where, um, you know, in a blue collar environment, but where, where extraordinary followers of the game live around every corner and as testimony last year with the regionals that had 58,000 people uh, attending uh, in Ford Field as we did our dress rehearsal then. But uh, there's no doubt about it, having Michigan State involved, Coach Izzo, the Spartans 90 miles away uh, certainly lends to additional energy. Um, we prior to this week uh, couldn't have felt any better about the opportunity to be part of this community and this region uh, to do something that people could enjoy and be part of with or without tickets, and uh, Michigan State is really icing on the cake in that regard, as well as the fact that we've got three great teams that had been the talk of the nation uh, all year long, and so we're looking forward to some good games and some great environment and uh, some spirit lifting uh, here in southeastern Michigan uh, over the next several days. Greg, student tickets,
3: I read where it's easier for students to get tickets now and they're less expensive. I I read that you have a thousand or so tickets priced at $15 for each of the final
2: four teams. Is that correct? Yeah, Actually, what we wound up doing, and this is our first year of doing this, but as part of our new configuration in the Final Four, uh, the courtside end zone seats are reserved for the student body, and where the numbers wound up, and again, this is kind of our maiden voyage in this, we have upwards of 2,000 tickets total, so about 500 tickets per school uh, that we sold for $10 per day uh, to students. Uh, through their ticket office, those are it's a virtual ticket. So we took advantage of the fact that most of the students are going to be using this technology better than you and I can. Uh, but they're able to get in, and they're going to be standing, sitting, and standing courtside uh, for the games this weekend. And they uh, had to pay Saturday and Monday. They had to pay twenty dollars to get in, and that, we, we thought that just was a great way to bring students back to the game. Uh, it's a great way to really make the energy uh, of the building come alive as we continue to tweak and involve the Final Four.
3: Now, that's a great idea, and kudos for you uh, for doing that and making it uh, easier for students to get into the games. All right, just a few minutes left. I want to talk about quickly uh, the broadcast portion of the tournament. How much control do you and the NCAA have over CBS's broadcast of the tournament? I know they've paid $6 billion for the rights over 11 years, but do you still maintain some control over the content put out over the airwaves during the tournament?
2: Well, sure. I mean, we we work collaboratively not only to to look at um, both sponsorships, but in broadcast elements, in a variety of details that go forward into putting a package. So whether it's March Madness on demand uh, or Mega March Madness, the satellite package uh, with DirecTV, we've really put ourselves in a situation so that we partner with CBS uh, in the presentation of the games and the best ways to do that.
3: March Madness on demand, and then. This year, the iPhone application for mobile devices. Uh, I mean, it's amazing how many different platforms you can watch the tournament on now. And what I'm amazed at is, A, uh, the numbers for viewership go up every single year. And B, advertisers, even in a bad economy, are latching on to advertising opportunities with March Madness On Demand and with the iPhone application. Maybe you can talk about the growth of the tournament on those platforms.
2: Yeah, well, we're blessed with an event in the championship that happens at multiple sites, happens simultaneously, uh, a live sporting event that happens over a three-week period of time. It's really the perfect template to activate as much technology as possible, so whether that's bringing stats, highlights, watching the games live in as many ways as possible, this is an event that's really able to do it in in um, in a highly evolving technological environment, and it's one where we've really tried to press... Uh, press the gas, if you will, to, to move forward, uh, to innovate, to take chances. Some things will work. Some things won't work. We understand that, but it's a lot better to try and to better understand how our event fits and how we can make it fit even more to the broadest possible audience. You know, we're in a very mobile society, and the ability to be able to watch games on an iPhone, for example, for $5 is just uh, you know, a remarkable evolution of technology, uh, if you think about where things were. 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, and it really is amazing. And to watch the evolution, if you watch watched March Madness on demand at all this year so far, the clarity is stunning, especially for those of us who were watching it in its first iteration several years ago, and that still set viewership records. So really pleased with it, uh, again, continuing to reinforce the notion that we've got to evolve things as much as possible, uh, and um, the championship and the NCAA are committed to that.
3: Last question. This is the 30th anniversary of Larry Bird and in Indiana State facing Magic Johnson in Michigan State. You know, Seth Davis joined us on this show a few weeks ago, talked about his new book that's out and just talked about how that game really catapulted the popularity of the NCAA tournament. I'd love to get your thoughts on what that game meant to the history of the tournament.
2: Well, I was a kid that grew up in the uh, state of Indiana and uh, watched that game with obvious great interest and with great basketball programs all around. Uh, it's There's no doubt in my mind that that Final Four ultimately led to the job that I have now, and, uh, and that sort of thing, so on a personal level, it resonates highly. Uh, at the same time, the way in which the country can come together around this event, I think, is unlike anything else. Everybody has a child or went themselves to or has a neighbor or has a friend, a grandchild, whatever, uh, or they live near uh, one or many of our member institutions. So college sports are uh, very easy to get into and build a loyalty and an affinity to. The events that happened in 1979, I'd suggest, galvanized the country around uh, an event, extraordinary uh, storylines that made all this possible. So when we assigned the 2009 Final Four to Detroit, we did it mindful of the fact that this was going to be the 30th anniversary of those games. And we announced uh, just recently that Magic and uh, Larry Bird will present the game ball live Monday night uh, at Ford Field and uh, it's a commemoration of all that they brought to the game and the way in which following of the sport has grown exponentially as a result of that uh, that great year.
3: Wow that's great I think that's terrific that you're having them present the game ball and uh, you know I've gotten a lot of pleasure out of watching Magic Johnson on TV follow the Spartans in, on their run this year I think it's great when some of the alums of these schools come back and watch the players of today.
2: Absolutely. It's great for all of us, and it's a great connection both to the past and a reason to look forward to the event in the future.
3: Well, Greg, I know you're tremendously busy. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us this week on Sports Business Radio. Anytime. Glad to do it. Thanks. Best of luck. We'll talk to you soon. You got it. Guests appearing during our Sports Sense segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses, Morton's the Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Mortons nearest you, go online to mortons.com. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Show. Sure. Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training monitoring and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com.
0: The website is SportsBusinessRadio.com.
3: Once the highest paid player in all of the NFL with a $130 million contract, a lawyer for suspended NFL star Michael Vick told a bankruptcy court Thursday that the former Atlanta Falcons quarterback has lined up a construction job for when he gets out of prison. Digging ditches. Nathan, this is the ultimate story of uh, riches to rags And it's going to be interesting to see when Commissioner Roger Goodell will reinstate Vic where he can make more money as a football player than he can as a construction worker. But I find it interesting. He is in such dire straits that he's already told the judge that the day he gets out, this guy is going to be digging ditches in a city near you. Well, hey, you
4: know, my dad owns a construction company. Maybe he can bring Vic onto his uh, workforce and get some new business. The fact of the matter is this. Vic is going to be playing football after about two weeks of working construction. Goodell wants him in the league. He needs him in the league. And frankly, I think that Michael Vick has served his time to society, and he deserves to play football again. You can slap me for that one.
3: Well, we will see. It will be very interesting to see what Commissioner Goodell rules on that. All right, lots of thank yous on our show this week. Greg Shaheen with the NCAA. Maury Brown from the Biz of Baseball. Our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harrison, Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Training. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. Go to my blog and become our Facebook friend. And keep an eye on the SBR blog March Madness Tournament Challenge. We'll see who the winner is and we'll announce it next week. I'm Brian Berger. Have a fantastic week.
1: Greg Oden of the Portland Trailblazers supports the Ronald McDonald Houses.
3: I'm a big fan of the houses, happy to help them make a difference.
1: He helps because he believes every hospitalized child should be near their family in tough times.
3: And everyone can support this home away from home.
1: When you purchase a McCafe Espresso drink or premium roast coffee, McDonald's donates a portion of proceeds to Ronald McDonald House Charities in Oregon and Southwest Washington. at participating in McDonald's for a limited time.
0: A little change can make a big difference.